These guys coming to Emblewood, that's our zone. We're gonna egg this stupid stab highway. <laughs> they were like, fuck these guys, like, we're egging these cars. Welcome back to The Drop. This is Michael Saramella, and this week we have a triple header for you. First up, Buck is back, and we're going to talk about everything that happened in surfing this week. That ranges from a chat with Makua Rothman, who is running for Hawaiian City Council, um, talking about Stab Highway, Episode 3, um, a beautiful little story about a Stab staffer who had to bring Mick Fanning his fins on an electric acid surfboard test trip in the Maldives, and so much more. Um, we also have a really, probably the, the headiest surfs in of all time it really it's a thinker it's just you know it's hard to wrap your head around but we got there in the end i think after that stacy g and i are going to go straight into the stab cusp we've got a huge ct event at j bay coming in and yeah it's the end of the year there's only two events left so there's a lot to talk about and at the very end of the podcast we are going to welcome holly wan she is fresh off of stab highway she has lots of thoughts some of them about me um, and yeah, she's just a great chat, so we're going to listen to her at the very end, and I think that's it, so let's just slide right in. Hello, Michael. It is good to be back. Buckley, we missed you. I'm back, and I'm better than ever. I have the sardine 19 uh, influenza, which is affecting much of seafood eating Europe, and you know, life's not too bad. No? What are the side effects? A little bit of a cough. That's about it. Fatigue. And uh, you're not allowed to go surfing. That's the hardest thing about getting the sardine 19 these days. Oh, are you guys like actually locked in when you get it? What do you do when you get COVID over there? What are you guys just too free for that? I think we're encouraged to like attend hot dog eating contests and things of that nature. Well, didn't the guy like didn't like a like a one leg guy win something this week? You see that? Did he? Yeah. No, I didn't. Ah. Well, apparently a guy with like crutches or something won a hot dog eating contest and it was like a big deal. Oh, Joey Chestnut. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is, okay. You don't know who Joey Chestnut is? Joey, am I supposed to? Yeah. He's like the 20 time reigning hot dog eating champion. He's like an American hero. He's got 20. I think he's got 20. Yeah. Well, fuck Kelly then. <laughs> yeah. Like this guy's unbelievable. And this year, it, it, yeah, he was on crutches, I guess, but that's not that much of an impediment when you're eating hot dogs. But he got... I don't want to say attacked is a strong word, but there was a protester who came up and shoulder checked him in the middle of him eating his hot dogs this year. And he choked the guy out and kept eating hot dogs and won the thing. Oh my God. Okay. Well, you know what, folks? You heard it here first. Slater cannot yet retire. (laughs) All right, folks, we are going to bust into the big news. Confession. I was Mick Fanning's professional Finn Courier. Uh, you're probably very confused. There's not too much being said. There's a lot being said, and yet very little in that headline. And so we're just going to rip straight into a voice note from the Finn Courier himself. Yeah, so I became the official Finn Courier of Mick Fanning about three days ago. We are filming the electric acid surfboard test in the Maldives this year. And Taylor Paul, who is running production, packed all mixed fins in one board bag, which didn't show up after his Qatar Airlines flight. So we're in a bit of pickle because Mick needed his fins urgently. 
and we needed to come up with a solution quickly. Um, so we put out a call on social media. Is anyone going to the Maldives in the next few days? Because we urgently need your help. Uh, no one got back to us. We looked at legitimate fin couriers, but uh, there was a chance they wouldn't even get there, and then plus it would probably take too long. And so I made this cheeky throwaway comment in the office. You know, I said, oh, well, look, if you need those fins delivered to Mick, why don't you just send me over and I'll make sure they get there. Uh, everyone kind of laughed it off, dismissed me, you know, shut up, mate, you're dreaming. Uh, but as the situation got more dire, I think they realized it was one of the only viable options. Uh, so at great cost, Stab has sent me to the Maldives. Mick now has his fins. We're pretty much best bros. We've been surfing together all day, getting tubed. Um, and I would just like to take this opportunity to thank Qatar Airlines and also to extend my Fin Courier services to anyone traveling to the tropics soon. Uh, you can ask Mick if you need testimonial, but otherwise just, uh, just, just hit me up via email or Instagram or something. And um, yeah, I'll make sure your fins are delivered on time, wherever you need to be, preferably at a nice luxe resort like this one, uh, you know, with, with, with tubes like all around it. Um, yeah, actually don't hit me up unless, uh, unless that's the situation. Uh, yeah, so thanks guys um, and, and God bless. Okay, so what we have here, this is Ethan Davis from STAB. He is 17 years old. Um, he graduated MIT at the age of 16 and now he works for us. Um, no, he's probably, what is he like 23? Yeah, something like that. Um, and he does, he does have a degree in neuroscience. He's a smart guy, a man of few words regularly, but he's clearly very excited about being a Mick Fanning sink warrior. And what fortune, I mean, obviously we're talking about this because, Mick Fanning is in the Maldives right now riding an array of really weird surfboards for a video project that our premium members are going to, have to watch in September. But the backstory of just like, sometimes you probably see these productions and think everything's all buttoned up. And this one, I mean, with Ashton and East, I don't think it was. Taylor's like the anti-Ashton. And I think he really did have everything together, but just a bag got lost. All of a sudden you can't get fins over there. And fucking Ethan just comes in and saves the day and gets himself this insane once-in-a-lifetime trip. Yeah, and and his voice note was amazing, but the actual written story on the site goes into way more detail. Um, I know, like, firsthand when this was happening, we we got the story from Tom Bird, who's one of the co-owners of Stab, and it was just incredible. Like He, he just told us on our weekly group chat... Um, and he basically, he was like, yeah, because Ethan, for his incredible intelligence, does not have that much, like, awareness necessarily of, like, the world around him. Like, he, like, he'll, like in Hawaii, for example, he landed in Hawaii without telling any of us that he was, like, going to get there or what flight he was on and just texted, like, hey, I'm here, like, in the middle of, like, a day when we're, like, doing all these different shoots for the pickup and stuff. And it was, yeah, just really funny. I was like, uh, <laughs> okay, <laughs> can you get an Uber? <laughs> yeah. Um, so this time, t Tom sat him down, he gave him the talk, the birds and the bees and the fins, um, and <laughs> he actually, he said that um, Ethan had, like, packed a bag or whatever with what he thought were the essentials for a trip to the Maldives, and Tom ripped out, like, half of the stuff. He took out Ethan's books because he didn't want him to get distracted, because <laughs> um, Ethan's very literary, and Tom Bird was having none of that. <laughs> 
Yeah, he made sure that his uh, phone was charged. <laughs> he gave him a whole list of things. And so he got there, he brought the fins, and um, apparently Mick is ripping. Oh, and the other thing that Tom told him is they're staying at this like incredible resort called Como Malafushi or something along those lines. Rich people know what it is. Um, so Tom, I, Tom was saying that um, breakfasts and dinners are included in your stay there. But lunches are not, and apparently it's like $100 for a plate at lunch. So Tom told him um, at breakfast to just grab a couple extra croissants and stuff them in his pockets and go home because we don't have any more budget on this trip after we had to buy a last-second flight to the uh, Maldives. So that's that's the situation we got going on. Wow, just incredible. And what fortune, what fortune. We You talked about Hawaii before. I did want to – he wrote a story about it. I made him. I don't think he really wanted to, but I was like, hey, this is just too funny not to because, yeah, he shows up doesn't tell any of us. We're all confused. And I think within like 36 hours, he was out on a borrowed board at like a, on just maybe the biggest day of the winter at YMA. It was a solid day. Um, and it just was silent the whole time. Just poked the nose on a few. It was incredible. He is just an incredible person. I'm sure Mick Fanning is falling in love with him right now. And you mentioned Tom before. Tom, I know you're listening. FCS, I know you're listening. Can we please, I know this probably isn't the best way to do this, but I want to pitch something here. Can we please, when this project drops, do a giveaway where Finboy Ethan just comes to your house. Like we just repeat this and have him go somewhere and he just has a quiver of fins that he goes and gives to somebody. And the only rule is, well, they have to be a premium member, but he has to stay in your house that night and you got to feed him soup. Like, can we just please do a Finn Boy giveaway when this drops? I just, FCS will have the Finns, we'll have Ethan, everybody can enter, and if you win, you're going to get, like, this insane, probably thousands of dollars worth of Finns, except Ethan's going to fly, you're going to have to pick him up, he's going to stay at your house, and you guys are going to eat soup. Yeah, and you'll have no warning when he's coming, either. He's just going to call no. you at some point and say, I'm here. I'm, I'm saying it, it's kind of funny, but I'm going to pursue this idea, I really want this to happen, so... Uh, stay tuned, folks. East drops in September. Makua Rothman for Council. Why the 2015 Big Wave World Tour champ is running for office. Uh, this is a big story because I was not aware that Makua Rothman didn't already hold the position of power in uh, Honolulu County. Yeah, well, you know, there's the official and the unofficial. And I think he's just trying to get that blue check mark. You know, it does actually remind me, like, I have a friend, I want to make it clear from the beginning here, uh, not saying Maku is in any, any illegal shit, but I have a friend that he made, like, legit millions of dollars in an illegitimate way. Um, he was growing a bunch of weed, like, massive, massive scale before it went legal in California. Now he's got a bunch of money and... He's like, he's a really tuned in businessman. Like he, he knew how to set up this massive operation. He knew how to distribute against all the challenges of it being illegal. He had to like figure all these things out. And now he's at this phase in life where he really wants to, he's like looking for anything to just get something more official to show that he could run a business on his resume. Cause right now he can't really talk about what he used to do. And this kind of reminds me of that. It's like Makua Rothman has had political power, if you're going to define it in the sense of like, he can make some big calls and influence decisions in a big way. He's had that in Hawaii for quite some time. Nobody's as respected as he is over there. And this is just him wanting to make it official, you know, put it on the resume. 
So I back it. Yeah, and I also too like you know there's there's having power. Or I guess there's different ways of holding power. You can hold power through fear or respect. The probably the best leaders probably have a little bit of both. But I think that he actually leans pretty heavily into the respect category in terms of just like listening to him talk like he's a really like mild tone dude like just seems really level-headed i loved i mean not that this has anything to do with political aspirations but then i guess everything does because it's a form of getting himself out there but i love listening to him on surfing webcasts i think he's one of the best webcast commentators like he's amazing and i think that he has just this really likable sort of personality and tone and obviously his family's been such a big staple in the North Shore community and probably Oahu and Hawaii as a whole for a long time. So I don't know anything about the politics over in Hawaii, but it would not shock me if Makua Rothman won a seat in the district too. Well, all right. We got the primary election for this position on August 13th. And then if he gets past that, the main one is November 8th. So let's do it. Let's get him in there. I mean, you have to... Obviously, Dustin Barca ran for mayor of Kauai in the past, and that was really cool to see. But this is this is a similar thing, and it's just like it's so easy to just complain about shit, but to try to do something about it, whether he wins or loses, just to take that step and really have a go at this, is so cool to see. It's rare, um, not just in surfing, but in the world in general. It's so much easier to just complain on Instagram than it is to go and actually try to run and try to get in there and try to make a difference. So. Awesome move, and let's see how it goes. Stab Highway, presented by Monster Energy, episode three is live. It's playing this week. And, and Mikey, we see our first ever Stab Highway casualty. We see a team eliminated. Oh, I thought you meant somebody died. I was like, shit, I missed that. No, that's what it says in the subhead on the site. It makes it sound way more uh, dramatic. <laughs> yes, um, you're correct. This is going to be the first time in Stab Highway history across all seasons that we have an actual elimination. So if you've been following along, you know that teams are doing challenges for points. I'm being a dickhead, telling people no a lot. Yes, mm, sometimes. Mall cop. And, <laughs> yeah, mall cop. And yeah, today all of those things are going to come to the fore, or I guess not today. We're recording it on the day that it's going live, but if you're listening to this on, you know, after the fact, you might have already seen it. Um, but we're not going to give anything away. We're not going to spoil it. There will be, however, an interview with Holly Wan at the back end of this podcast where she does probably get into the spoiler territory. So if you don't want to know what happens in episode three, probably don't listen to that interview until after the fact, but I would recommend you listen because it is really good. Um, Yeah, and I don't want to spoil anything here, but it's the blue team that gets kicked off. Um, So that's what happens, and just take my my word for it. and go listen to Holly, but I want to ask you, because it's so fun to watch these and see you in it, and there's this moment where you guys are in Bobby Martinez's, in the gym where he trains, and you're wondering if another team's going to show up to compete in this challenge, and it looks like you really got to spend some quality time with Bobby, both at the gym and then at Rincon. What was that like? Because I feel like he's one of those figures in surfing where like you get not enough of him, that makes you every little bit you get you're just so grateful for what was it like just go hey how bobby it was honestly awesome um i remember like when we when we got him down to rincon 
Aton, who obviously lives in that area, was shocked. He's like, I cannot believe you got Bobby to come down here. Because Bobby was the one who ended up judging the final surf off. Like, basically to determine which team was going home, we had the four captains, the four females, surf against one another. They had an hour at Rincon. The waves were, like, miraculously really fun. It was, like, late March at this point, And it was, like, chest high, kind of chunky, but fun Rincon. And, yeah, we got Bobby to come down to that. And then, like you said, earlier in the day, we are in his boxing gym. Um, and I, I think with Bobby, he's one of those people where if you can find him and meet him in his element, he is, like, so happy to interact and give you all the time of the day. I just think he, you know, he, he has his things that he loves. He loves boxing. He loves surfing. He loves his family. And if you can find a way to incorporate whatever you're doing with what he loves to do, then he is like all there a hundred percent. And he was amazing. Like both on the show, like he has a pretty funny line calling out one of the teams for not showing up because <laughs> they, they got their tires deflated by another team. Um, and so they were using that as a, an excuse for not being able to make it to this boxing match with another team. And Bobby had some line about, oh, they probably deflated their own tires so they didn't have to come fight Zeke. <laughs> um, so just little things like that. And, um, and then also just his ability to sort of like break down surfing so we're actually going to see him in a future episode as well so there's going to be more bobby to come lots of bobby on stab highway yeah well i'm jealous seeing you spend the quality time with him gotta say i was jealous is that just a goofy foot thing you think it's a goofy foot thing but i think it comes back to that like you know not you know you never get enough bobby you know it's just like it's true and you almost want to stay that way like we could probably do more we probably interview him like we probably make it happen more often but it's almost like we shouldn't like we should just you know you just get your little bobby dose when you get it and that's that's how it's gonna work keep the supply low demand high i mean it was like when uh in the last episode when the blue team went and found tom kern they found him yeah i mean sometimes sometimes uh well they're gone now they're gonna be gone <laughs> so this episode we saw some hijinks we saw yeah something like almost that some scandalous behavior i'd say was it a decision to to say that hey you can't really fuck with the other teams anymore or was it like uh just absolutely not like was it hard to arrive at that or was it just iron fist like no we can't do this it's going to impede the progress of the show what was that like we always were aware of and okay with the idea of like teams fucking with one another essentially but there are also like limits to everything too so one of our, you know, sponsors for this whole thing was GMC. They gave us a fleet of incredible vehicles that otherwise we wouldn't have been able to even pull this thing off because we had six people in each of these cars, you know, with surfboards on the roof, et cetera, because you have the four team members and two filmers in each car. And yeah, they just, they made the whole thing possible. And then, so when one team got their tires deflated, one that is actually kind of like a pretty fucked thing to do from a competition standpoint because they weren't able to move for three hours, which really limits your ability to get points, which like it's it's kind of funny just pulling a little prank on someone. But when you're actually impacting their ability to, you know, especially in an elimination day, it's like, oh, that's kind of gnarly. Um, and then later on, you're going to see that uh, there's an egging situation where Dane Reynolds is involved. He's actually the catalyst. Dane, <laughs> Dane Reynolds uh, is, yeah, he's the egg hurler. They went, they went hard yeah. there. They went. So I was, I knew that was coming, but I did not expect it to be with that much uh, force. If yeah. You will. So, um, yeah, there were a few, there were a few conversations in the background around one, the fairness of the competition, and two, not just 
like screwing over GMC who gave us these really nice vehicles. So we basically made a call that nothing can be done to vehicles. Like if you want to shave someone's eyebrows while they're sleeping or, or whatever that, you know, we're not going to get you in trouble for that. But yeah, when it came to vehicles, I think we'd seen enough of that at that point. So we decided to pull the plug. Oh, well, it was a good call. I think, I think it was a good call. And, um, yeah, that egging scene, my God, at least we got that out of it. Yeah. Just Dane in a ski mask. Um, I don't think this ended up in the episode, but he actually specifically said, Oh, I wish Mikey Saramel was here so I could egg him. Oh, really? That's awesome. Yeah, it's Dane and I have this like funny little thing where like I think he thinks that I like don't like him or whatever and then he likes to rib me a lot as well and so yeah it's it's I do like you Dane I promise. Do you want to rib him a little bit here? Just give him one? <laughs> I can give you one. No. Give me one. Well, I mean, I, he doesn't strike me as the type that like go out to the mound and throw like a good first pitch, you know. Mm. Um, so I don't see you do something around baseball and being surprised by it. his arms going there. Like I, I, there's something, there's something about how he was throwing those things that I was really surprised by. I just didn't think he had the capacity to throw like that. <laughs> well, one of my favorite moments from the episode is actually <laughs> toward the end of the egging when he, I guess, throws one last egg and he misses whatever his target was. And he ends up hitting this random person's car in the parking lot. <laughs> and then <laughs> this person comes out and, like, chastises Dane. Like, but he, like, he knows who Dane is. And it just feels like this funny, it would be like if you were like chastising Kelly Slater. I don't know, it just was so like organic and pure. You just kind of have to like see it to understand it. But it's like, wow, imagine just like chastising Dane in the parking lot at Emma Wood. I didn't like that. Fuck that guy. (laughs) Dane should be able to egg anybody at Emma Wood. Is there such a thing as an all-arounder surfboard? This is a joyride featuring you, Mikey, with the rusty miso and a paint job that is, <laughs> I, I would, the word that came to mind is questionable, but I don't really have any questions about it. I'm just going to kind of look at you blankly. Just kind of uh, shrug. Yeah. So, um, man, I don't even know if I should try to excuse my behavior in this one but here i'll uh, yeah i'll give it a go so you know when sometimes you get a new board and no nope. it's all it's all white oh you don't know okay so i'm already um <laughs> um sometimes when a mommy surfboard and a daddy surfboard love each other very much they make a new surfboard and it comes out sparkly and white and pure um but at the same time, I don't know, there's there's some foams that just don't quite look as, like, pristine to me. Or I don't even know if it's, like, a color thing or oh what. Oh, my but like God. This is, this, is, this, this is where you're going? <laughs> yeah, this is where I'm going. Oh anyway, some, sometimes you get a new board, and it just feels like it needs a splash of color. Like, it just it doesn't feel right in its sort of natural form. So when I got this Rusty Miso, I thought the shape looked nice, but I, like, was not drawn to the overall just like l- like feel look etc of it so i was like it needs color it needs some life it needs some splash so i decided to grab some spray paint 
and I, I had no misconceptions. Like this was always going to be a bad paint job. I've no, I've painted you know a dozen boards in my life, and none of them were ever remotely um, aesthetically pleasing. So I, I had no thoughts that this was going to be any different. However, it did end up a lot worse than I thought. So. I always knew this was going to be kind of like an embarrassing sort of like jokes on me sort of intro to a video, but it ended up being way more embarrassing than anticipated. Um, so, but once you paint it, what are you going to do? You're stuck with it. So I just went with the uh, bad paint job equals good board thing, and it ended up pretty much coming true. Did Shin ever hit you up about it? <laughs> no, Shin hasn't talked to me <laughs> since. Shin, I know you're listening. Please have this conversation. It's something he needs to hear. <laughs> So paint job aside, um, as you mentioned in the title of this, my whole thing is like I've tested a lot of boards and I just hate when people use the term all arounder for a surfboard or like a one board quiver or whatever. Like I just don't think that that actually is, exists. Like the whole concept is fundamentally flawed. Like surfboards have, you know, different aspects. They have rocker, they have width. They have length, they have thickness, and all these things combined make them either ideal for a certain condition or ideal for a range of conditions, but no board can be suited to all conditions. It just it doesn't work that way. Um, however, when testing this board and going through the sort of mental checklist, I was like, okay, so it works in small waves, it works in medium waves, it works in heavy waves, hollow waves, weak waves works as a quad, works as a thruster, works as a two plus one, is that technically make it an all-arounder? Now, granted, like, none of these conditions would this board necessarily be, like, my first choice. However, there is something to, you know, a sort of seven average across the board, right? Where it's like, if you're going to get one board, this seems like a pretty smart option. That was a good rant. I agree with everything you said, actually. I was waiting for the point where I was going to go, eh, 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 and it just didn't really come. Um, I agree on all points. Yeah, if you're gonna, I do think that you could, you could. There are boards that you can ride and everything, but they're gonna be flawed. If you can get a seven across the board, that's really impressive. Because there's boards that can be like, you know, a nine and a four in different waves, but a seven across the board, that's that's a job well done. I'd say that's a that's a good board. And I like miso soup. I do. So this board, I originally sort of saw and became aware of, and actually technically rode during Mason and Coco's electric acid surfboard test. They had it there. They wrote it as a two plus one. I tested Coco's for like a few waves or whatever, but it wasn't like any big thing. Um, and they basically thought that it worked like a shortboard. Like it almost like wasn't the right fit for that project because it was like such a good, solid, standard surfboard. So I thought, eh, maybe we'll do a joyride on it. And lo and behold, it uh, it continues to work. <laughs> so again, it's like if you're one of those people who maybe you, you know, get one surfboard every few years or whatever, and you're looking to find that one that you can ride across the board, this could be the one for you. Rusty Miso. Mm. If not, it's going to be too late by the time you hear this, but I just found a 610 burn in Anglet for 150 euro. <laughs> I'm going to get the guy down to 125, pick that thing up tomorrow. And that's your one board quiver? Yeah. <laughs> the pad, I'll send you a link. The pad is disgusting. We need to, it's a sad pad for sure. We're going to need to get rid of that. But uh, good board, I'm going to pick it up. And Mikey, with all these, we give a board away every single time we do these. So if you're listening to this and you're thinking, you know what, I'm a seven. I'm a seven. I mean, me personally, I'm a 633 across the board. But you, you could be a seven. And if you want a board that speaks to your slightly above average uh, everythingness as a human being, 
This could be your board, and you have a chance to win one. What's the mechanism here for this one, Mikey? How are you going to pick a winner? So, as always, at the end of the joyride, at the bottom of the page, I just ask people a list of questions, you know, name, age, where you're from, and then I ask, like, one question that is specific to that board. And this time the question is, what's your favorite one-board quiver and why? Again, not a huge believer in one-board quivers, but I understand that, you know, some people live and die by them. So I want to know if you had one board for the rest of your life and you had to ride it everywhere, what would it be? 610 burn on glat, 125 euro <laughs> tomorrow. I'm coming for you, buddy. <laughs> so the winner of the last joyride where I tested those boards from um, Pizel Indo, it was a Radius Endigo. So this person's double lucky. They're getting two boards. It was actually a guy named Max who he's from Ukraine he fled to Bali um, when the war started hitting his country, obviously, and he's been parked there ever since, and he recently broke his one board down there. So I thought that this uh, little two-board Pizel quiver would get him through the rest of the season. He's going to be there at least until December. Hopefully at that point, I, I have no idea what's going on. Probably nothing good in Ukraine at the moment. But um, yeah, good luck to Max. And and also, like just on a... Like on a side psychological note, that must be so strange to like flee a country, you know, your family's house and whatever, and maybe your friends are there and maybe people you know are fighting in the war and you like leave that and then you just go to like Bali, one of the most like beautiful, happiest, wave rich places in the world. Like there must be so much weird like inner turmoil around that. Like you're out there surfing at Karamas or Uluwatu's and you just like think about what's going on back home and yeah like i don't want to like put <laughs> guilt on somebody if they're like you know what i mean but like not that he's doing anything wrong whatsoever like i think it's amazing that he left and that he ended up in a place that's that amazing but it just must be like hard psychologically doing that yeah that is that's like a next level like i've, I've been seeing a lot of license plates around europe of people from ukraine but like you're still you know you drove here you know you probably still feel pretty close whereas bali just like just a completely different world in every way that's that is a wild one. But uh, anyway, folks, don't come at Mikey with a sob story to try to win this one. If you recently broke a leash, probably not your angle. Um, and good luck. Okay, it is surfs in time. And oh boy, hands down, the most complex surf sin in the history of surf sins. It's a long one, but I don't know how you'd shorten it. There's a lot to be laid out, and it's so it's just so surfing in 2022. It, this is just where we're at as a culture. So let's hear it. He wanted to be anonymous. We'll hear it, and then we'll do our best to, to kind of figure out who's in the wrong, who's in the right, what to do with it all. Hey, Buck. Hey, Mikey. Um, Let's talk about what this surf's in. There's some nuance to it, so I'm going to go ahead and get right into it. Um, I live in the Pacific Northwest United States. Uh, up here, like where I surf, a lot of the communities out here are very remote stretches of coastline. Um, pretty small communities, pretty territorial surfers. Uh, we honestly don't like outsiders too much. You know, we're not a huge fan of people from Seattle and Portland coming in their sprinter vans on the weekends, and they have way too much money. Um, we're not a fan of Californians coming up here who saw like one Chris Burkhard video and now want to live this like cold water surf fantasy. But there's a particular kind of kook for which we have a certain distaste and that's called a snow bro. And that stems from the fact that around here there is a lot of world class skiing and snowboarding. 
So a snow bro is somebody who's primarily in that world, but dips their fingers into surfing every now and then, and ostensibly on their Instagram or whatever is just all about it, you know? And usually they're uh, super overconfident in their ability because they're good at a different sport, like skis or a snowboard, and they think it translates when it won't. So my sin is that I brought a snow bro into a lineup that I'm not even local to. So let's set the scene. I got a friend, um, let's call him Bud. I know he'll fucking hate that, so we're running with Bud. Um, Bud is sick on skis. Pretty good on a snowboard. Man just rips pow, period. Um, he has, though, in the last like year or two, done some traveling, gone to the Caribbean, gone to Mexico, and now he's just head over heels for surfing. It's all he wants to do. And I've known Bud a long time, so I'm like, cool, man. I'm stoked to see you getting into surfing. So I've been taking him to some of the some of my home breaks, uh, some of the ones that are more suited to his ability as he gets from that like high beginner to low intermediate phase. And recently I was like, hey, let's... uh." You know, we have a good forecast for the spot that's a few hours away from here. Um, let's go get it. He's like, yeah. So we roll out there, and uh, as it is up here, there, you know, fair bit of hiking. We had to camp, but we ended up at a spot that was firing, fucking sick. And um, there was only like six guys out, and you know, those are clearly the guys who live in this small, economically depressed ass town and surf there every time it's working. Now, I know from my life of experience here that when it's like that, you really need to come to correct. You know, I know that the right thing to do is to paddle out, sit at the back of the line, keep your head down, and accept that maybe you're not going to get one of the six set waves off these guys. You know, like you really need to show a lot of humility. That's all lost on Bud. He has not had the time to learn the nuance of this kind of ethics, etiquette, whatever. So he paddles out to the middle of the fucking pack, turns to the guy next to him, and just goes, what's up, bro? It's firing! And, like, gives him a laugh and a shaka. And if you know Bud, you know that this is actually just his personality. Like, he's a little puppy dog, stoke nugget. He genuinely meant that. But obviously, this dude just mean mugged him, right? So afterward, we're in the parking lot changing. Uh, a couple other friends are with me. They drove separately, and they're experienced surfers as well. Like, know what's up with this. And... In the parking lot, this like gruff-looking middle-aged guy, supposedly the guy which Bud had been saying that to in the lineup, came over to us and gave us all just a fucking tongue lashing about respect and humility. We really went in, and this this you know lecture was meant for Bud, not for us. But we all caught it. And the worst part of this is that these are such small communities of surfers that people learn what other people's vehicles look like. And Bud rode with me in my rig that day. So now, at this spot, there's probably at least a couple dudes who are going to see my rig in the future and think that it is some snow bro kook. So my question is, where does the sin lie? Is it me for bringing a snow bro out into this lineup that I'm not local to? Is it Bud's sin for having the fucking gall to get out there with positivity and stoke? Or is it this local for seeing that positivity in Stoke and responding with a uh, pure fucking vitriol. And uh, yeah, so if it's my sin, I'd love to hear a good penance. Um, and yeah, boys, can't wait to see what you come up with. And uh, to any people listening to this down in California, you can, uh, you can go ahead and just stay down in California. Well, I appreciate it up here. Thanks. Somehow everybody is sinning i think right like who 
I, I've got additional thoughts, but like everybody's kind of in the wrong, correct? I mean, just let's just take a step back. Is this not just the perfect example, microcosm of how ridiculous surfing is from all angles? It's insane. It's insane. You got everything in this one. It's just literally it tells if you wanted to explain how just fucking stupid surf culture is to somebody that doesn't you just play them this and be like what that's what's happening what yeah that, like i had to explain to someone the other day how the height of a wave differs depending on like who you are and where you live and whatnot uh, to someone and i just re- when i was saying it i was like this is the stupidest thing i've ever said in my entire oh, yeah. life like everything we do makes no sense whatsoever no. none and that's part of what makes me love the whole thing so much is like just being a part of this strange little cult oh it's so good i mean and in this one somehow i think this snow guy what's his name brophy guy he is somehow the least guilty because he just he's the only one that shouldn't have known any better like this the guy who confessed should have known better than to bring that guy to that spot. The guy who got all mad should have known better than to get so mad about a person just being happy. Um, Snowbro just like he just was a puppy dog. It sounded like he just he didn't know any better at all. So he's the least guilty. But is he still kind of sinning? I don't know. I kind of he is kind of because like you can't do that. <laughs> yeah, I I think what I took away from this is yeah, kind of similar to you. Everybody's sinning. But at the same time, nobody's sinning. I think we all, ironically, them being from Canada, I think we all just need to cool off a little bit. So my penance is simple. I just want all three of them at some point in the next six months to go for a uh, a bareback surf in the Pacific Northwest. And just, you know, just really take the time to appreciate everything that we have while you're sitting there shivering your ass off. Because it could be a lot worse. You know what? Our sins are actually compatible. Uh, mine's slightly different, but they could do both at the same time. Mine's just going to focus on the, the anonymous gentleman who confessed. And what I really think his sin comes down to is it's just a, it's just really a chemistry issue, right? Like you need to know that this force and this force don't go well together. It's just you can't take these two ingredients and ex- put them next to each other and expect anything but an explosion to happen. And he should have known that. If you wanted to avoid that, he wouldn't have done it. Um, and so I want him to be more understanding of that in the future. And so I'm going to go a little bit of the alchemist route. And I'm not going to say what exactly. I mean, I just I want him to ingest some sort of hallucinogenic. Um, doesn't have to be LSD. I'm not going to be one of these hoity-toities telling you to microdose like everybody these days. Here's a little gummy, bro. Uh, you lick a toad. I don't care. Some shoe polish. I'll get you there sometimes. Eat a bunch of Advil. You do whatever you want. The the cough syrup. Whatever you want. But just uh, hallucinate a little bit and go surfing. Um, this will put you in 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 closer touch, likely with the forces and the elements that are all coming together and interact with each other because that's what you got wrong there. And yeah, why not do a bareback? It's um, two for one yeah well i think if you watched uh ian crane do the bareback challenge in san francisco you would know that it's probably possible to hallucinate just based off going bareback in really cold water and i also think that if we could somehow you know if the anonymous sender he's going to hear this obviously 
if he could share this with his friend and then take that extra step and share it with the other guy who was a part of this conversation. Can you imagine the healing that would happen if they all paddled out bareback together and shared a session oh, in BC? That's romantic. Did he say BC or Northwest, though? Because you keep doing the Canada thing, and I like that, but I thought he said Seattle. Oh, it's all the same, isn't it? Really? It it's is. like cold and dark and wet all the time. When you are hallucinating, it doesn't really make any difference. So go get it. To me, this would would be truly the most beautiful healing surf sin if we could somehow get them to hallucinate bareback while surfing together as a trio. I think that would really... uh, We could end the podcast after that because our work here is done. You know what? There's a lot of negativity in the world, folks, but here we are doing our best day in, day out to heal. And just a reminder to please send in video or photo evidence of your penances being completed because we don't get enough of those, frankly. We give out a lot of penances, but we don't get much proof that they're actually happening. So we want to know if you are healing and we want to see it. We do. Speaking of which, when are you filming your next to ride? Oh, good question. I was actually just texting with my filmer about that now. It's possible, possible I will be doing it around the U.S. Open, which would be really nice for me because... I actually wouldn't look that out of place throwing out a wild claim in HB. Um, so, yeah. yeah, that's it's still in the back of my mind. Okay. As a refresher, folks, uh, Mikey confessed to him once, and my penance to him was to just claim a wave as shamelessly, as shamelessly as he can and post it on the stab Instagram just to see how people react and um, without any reference to it being a joke in any way. So... That's what we're working with, and we'll keep you updated. All right. Thank you, Buck. And as always, you can submit your surf sins directly to us at michael at stabmag.com or buck at stabmag.com. And we always appreciate you admitting your faults to us because, you know, we all have them, and it just feels a bit better to get them out there and let the world know that it's okay to do wrong so long as you come back and complete a proper penance. Now... Stacy G and I are about to break down J-Bay. There's a lot going on. There's some swell on the way. Finally, we're going to have an event with hopefully some epic waves. Um, and there's a lot of storylines at play. So let's jump in. Mikey C, it's a pleasure to join you in what's been a uh, busy podcast. Lots of voices. That is right. But um, Stacy, I have to say, I might be most excited about this conversation because I think the mid-year curse is about to be lifted. I've been looking at the forecast with J-Bay and Tahiti for like the last two weeks, trying to get some sort of read on the play, and it's coming. We're good. <laughs> You've been looking <laughs> the at The last Tahiti few too. swells that have hit J-Bay, yeah, I'm checking everywhere. I'm like trying to get... Because I, I sort of obviously have a good idea of how home works and it does happen a lot of the time with the quickie pro we get a massive swell that blows the sand down and we end up at Greenmount or kira or d-bar and just seems to happen more often than not and i thought okay i wonder how we're looking at j-bay i wonder how tahiti's looking and tahiti just seems to be firing not in the last sort of two weeks but up until that point it was just non-stop and i was kind of getting a little bit i guess worried and confident at the same time but probably more worried that the pattern would eventually end j bay was the same but i was getting a lot of positive signs because every swell that popped up to j bay seemed to have the devil wind attached to it or there'd be a fun day or it would be too west and kind of missed jeffrey's bay but there would be swell out to sea but from what i can tell this forecast coming up i'm claiming we're done in three days 
That's how fucking good it looks. Oh, and that is the beauty of the mid-year cut, is we finally get this swell window that we've been waiting for, and hopefully we can all make it happen and get in and out of that place. And, and I mean, how much better is that for, for viewership, for marketing, for everything? Like, it just feels like, okay, we know these days are going to be good. We're straight through. It just makes the competition feel like more of a spectacle. For sure, and you can plan your life around it um, accordingly. It's It must be hard being around surfers if you're not a surfer. My partner's not a surfer. I got her into it and she likes it, but she doesn't understand that I'm kind of waiting with bated breath for this event to start. I know, and that's just to watch surfing as well. Then there's the added element of going <laughs> surfing yourself. Like I was um I was at like a party this weekend with a different crowd and I was kind of like explaining to cuz and I was talking to somebody from Ireland and I was explaining to them, you know, the waves get like insane in Ireland, but it's usually in the winter when it's freezing and there's these really small windows because of, you know, there's short days in the winter. The tides are huge over there. Um, the, you know, the winds are pretty volatile and all these different things. And they're like, wow, like, I can't believe you guys like go through all that just to like get a couple of good waves. Um, but they were actually a musician. They were like, they're a trained pianist or whatever. And so the analogy that we kind of like came up with is like, it would be like if you could get access to like the most pristine, like grand piano, but it only happened for this, like hour 30 window on this one day and you had to sit outside in the cold and play it and it's like would you do that and they're like yeah like i'd like fucking i'd bail on work i'd bail on family (laughs) you know what i mean because like it's yeah so it's just a unique little thing that we have going on but it's it's honestly i think it's so good for surfers like that it is that volatile because it's that thing that you like yeah you know in like a long sort of lull period you might get a little depressed or whatever but there's always the thought of like it could be pumping soon and i swear that that like hope gives you hope in the rest of your life as well because you just always have something to look forward to in a way um i even get excited like thinking about other places getting good and like you sometimes go on to like ticket booking sites and just like look at it it's like oh man like could i do that is it possible and like you get this secondhand stoke knowing that you're you wouldn't really pull the trigger but just the idea that you could if you really wanted to it just i don't know it makes me happy are you hitting Saturn's return, Mikey? Because that was awfully philosophical. <laughs> uh, no. Yeah, sorry. It's just, you know, it's a Friday morning. I'm excited. JB's going to be pumping. So, yeah, there's a lot going on, Stacey. Now nah, we can get deep. Surfing, to me, is so different to what it was five years ago and then the five years before that. And I'm 100% with you. I think that is what is the coolest thing about a 30-minute heat is not knowing what's around the corner, and that's what makes wave pulls as fun as they are and as entertaining as they are, just a different category altogether. There is no hope. The, the wave is coming. Yep. It's how you're going to deal with it, which is another thing altogether. It's kind of more like relief and despair rather than enjoyment because it's very stressful. But with the ocean, it's kind of like, yeah, well, if I get the chance, cool. If I don't, that's just the way it goes. And so I think that's definitely what makes it... Um, always a reason to, to get up and get after it again the next day because you know there's a way of coming but it, will it come to you that day or the next day or who knows well that brings up one of the greatest Bay moments of all time back in 2005 um you know andy irons is on his three-year world title run kelly slater is trying to claw his way back to the top and um they have a final at Bay. the waves are pretty cooking uh andy gets a good lead and Slater's out the back with, you know, like a minute left. And he said he's exhausted. He surfed a bunch of heats that day. 
and there's this pod of dolphins that is swimming up the point kind of past him and they gave him hope they're like all right well if they can make it i can make it and he was like i didn't know if there's gonna be a set but of course a set comes at the end he bangs off three huge turns falls on the end section controversially gets the score um and i think but that's kind of like a a metaphor for what we're all talking about right here and hopefully we have a moment like that in the event coming up this week now last winner was medina he's obviously not going to win this year he's having his own knee issues um and before medina the last goofy foot to win was mark Acalupo in 1984 so again another one of those events where historically goofy foots have not done very well i'm sure there are various reasons for that but um, Italo was also in the final in 2019, so that was sort of a doubleheader. And then J-Bay has been won by Brazilians the last three times it's run. 2017 and 2018, it was won by Felipe Toledo. You remember the double alley-oops, of course. And just a little fun fact on Phil out there. He's won 16 of his last 17 heats at J-Bay. He only lost to Italo, I think, in the semis of the previous year. So we talk about somebody being dominant and i know it's been a recurring theme this year but like be hard to look past him i guess we have to um although we didn't pick him at the last company one uh it, it really is um a good time for philippe Toledo. he's injury free he's made basically every final that he's been in uh, event that he's been in outside of hawaii and he just seems to be on a crazy roll and the forecast, it, you know, Jay Bay's a wave that whether it's four feet or eight feet, I still see him doing a lot of damage. Um, and I just like watching him surf. So I want to see him what, you know, what he can do in every single heat in the whole comp. So, yeah, I, I really think he's going to be hard to beat. I mean, are they closed the betting on him? Uh, no. So betonline.ag does not have odds up just yet, but I imagine that he will be coming in around plus 150 maybe even plus 100 which is basically yeah one dollar 150 for the way that you guys bet i don't think he's gonna have (laughs) very lucrative odds but for good reason he's too much of a threat really it's like if he's three dollars or 350 oh bet your house yeah he's really (laughs) for sure i mean it kind of wouldn't surprise me if he was i think he was that in going into Brazil, so um, yeah, it's going to be very, very, uh, very exciting to see. I wonder if the forecast does stay, um, you know, above sort of head high the whole time. I, I have seen those swells sort of pop up on the map at J Bay a lot, and they they end up halving. So at the moment, it looks like five meters at fourteen seconds, and it looks like it could just be bombing. Um, so I think that will probably peel back a little bit. But even still, if it's six foot plus and and, and roping. Owen and um, Matt Wilkinson just talking about goofy footers. The year that they both made the semis was a great example of what can be done out there on your backhand. And Conor O'Leary is someone who just strikes me as someone who could do really, really well out there. So I'm uh, I'm interested to see how he pulls up. Ooh, I like that call. Um, Now, would it absolutely shock you to learn that Jordy Smith has not made a final at J-Bay in 11 years? Yeah, it would. That's a long time. Um, I think 
Joel had a long time in between drinks um, at the Gold Coast, but it wasn't that long. I think it was only, I think it might have been 2002 to 2009, which felt like an eternity. But yeah, 11 years is a really long time. I mean, that's like wild because we think about Jordy as being dominant out there, but in reality, he hasn't had even a final in a decade. He obviously won in 2010 and 2011. He's also got the only perfect heat out there in 2017, that year that the waves were insane, and we saw the uh, the safety boat driver ride that wave. Um, but yeah, uh, Jordy, you know, he's, he's also not had a great year this year. We've talked about it before. It just feels like he hasn't been there mentally. Um, so I'm really hoping, like, I mean, if there is an event for him to come back, it's got to be this one, right? Like, the waves look like they're going to be good. It's as much of a home court advantage as he could ever get on the ct so there's yeah maybe it's nostalgia or you know something but i would really really love to see him come and show his sort of form of old yeah it could be a good opportunity for him to sort of spread his wings i know he struggles to get fired up when the conditions are you know lackluster and they definitely have been the last three events you know g land el salvador and and rio uh, certainly aren't going to be enough to get a mid-30s Geordie Smith fired up. But being on home court uh, and the forecast, you'd have to think that the fire's burning stronger than ever. And he's definitely got something to prove this year. I, I can't really think of a heat where I've watched and, and, and seen, you know, the Geordie that we know. Um, so, yeah, he's got such a unique way of surfing that wave he obviously never looks rushed and he sort of manages to do you know the majority of surfing in the critical section right towards the end of the wave right on top of the bricks whether it's a big floater or uh, a big carve to finish the wave which is such a difficult thing to do out there J-Bay with the wave kind of running away from you and all your momentum going down the line um, I think Geordie's one of those surfers that, that has that ability to be able to sort of change direction on the wave, even though everything is going down the line. He, he can still twist and turn and get his nose back around to the foam with just relative ease. Uh, and I think, you know, it, it has to be this event where he can shine. I, I don't really know what the point situation looks like at the moment, but I, I can't really see him uh, fighting in the final five this year. But an event win is still something I know he'd be stoked to have, especially at J-Bay. So could be a good chance for him yeah and then of course like you said before we have that next crop you know the jack robinsons ethan ewings griffin colapinto kanoa igarashi um those guys i mean they just seem like we've talked about it so much but they just seem so confident this year like they're going to be paddling out there going full tilt like as fast as they possibly can turning as hard as they can i can't wait to see ethan ewing out there um we've also we've never seen jack robinson out there before that's going to be amazing. So they're honestly like as much as Felipe seems like the obvious favorite and then Jordy is maybe, you know, the established vet. There are some guys in, in between those two that could very easily walk away with a win out here with the way they've been surfing this year. Yeah, definitely. And, and Ethan's had some experience there in the past. Um, so I know he'll be, he'll, he'll be able to draw on that. And as, as have all that crop that you've just mentioned, but you do forget that Ethan has had a few swings at the tour, so and he's he's an established surfer now. He's a man, you know. Back in the day, he was certainly still a teenager and and finding his feet. But I think he, he's done that now, and I mean, it's an exciting crop of surfers. I think though, like I alluded to earlier, the Callum Robson situation, where he's situated in the ratings, and the last two events 
that we're faced with, I would not be surprised if we see him finish fifth in the world to round out the year. Yeah, I mean, just another Morgan Sibillic story, basically, right? Like, it's pretty much the mm. same thing. He's just, like, event after event, he does not let up. And, like, doesn't matter who he comes up against. It's funny, because we kind of talked about this before the season started. Like, he's just somebody that's just not afraid. Like, he's not phased by big names. He's obviously not phased by the ocean at all. So he just goes out there, and every single time he sees the biggest, heaviest section on the wave, he just goes and hits it as hard as he can. And that's proving to be very successful this year. Do you think that's a reason that sponsors have eluded him so far is the Morgan Sibillic story? Do, do they think perhaps they'd like to see another year out of him before anyone makes a call? Because it's seemingly getting to a point now where brands, particularly I know in the board writer's umbrella, they run off a, uh, an American financial year and that's sort of coming to an end now. And, you know, conversations are being had about new contracts and stuff like that. And it just seems like, it just seems to be a lot of hesitancy around Callum. If I was a brand manager, that is exactly what I would be thinking. Um, like we talked about it before, like Morgan getting signed by Red Bull, you know, and then falling off the tour, like Red Bull doesn't want to sponsor people that are not on the tour. You know what I mean? So they took a bit of a, you know, they took a chance on somebody who obviously he had a great year, but we talked about it, you know, his like ability level isn't really in that like top, top echelon. And I would say the same is true about Callum. Like he's not a top, five talent he's not he's there right now on the basis of some really consistent surfing and a really great attitude and maybe some rookie luck but like I don't see him over the course of a career staying in that top five picture there's just too much talent in the world that like you know there's always going to be space for um, this sort of blue collar surfer to make a dent here and there but I don't see it being a, a super consistent thing throughout his career so would it shock me if in his sophomore year he had a bit of a slump no, it wouldn't. And that's what I'd be thinking if I was a marketing manager. Because mm. I, I do respect the, the angle he's taken, you know, and, and his attitude. Like you said, he's got a fantastic attitude, a great work ethic. Um, you know, he presents really well. He's he's always got his stickers of the sponsors that he has where they need to be and hats on head and he looks after the kids and he does fundraising at home. Like, he's he's a great ambassador for the sport. So... Yeah, it's it's definitely an interesting story, and obviously Jed Smith um, dug into that last week, and the, the story's there on the site. But yeah, it's always always one. It, I I am surprised, and then like I am with you on that. Like I, I do see both both sides of it. I think um, I think the Morgan year is a good thing for a lot of young Aussies. It definitely got them fired up. But for anyone that doesn't have that support, I think it's probably a double edged sword, and they're going to need to have two banger years. Um, just to really cement themselves to, to anyone who's watching. Yep, very good point. All right, so the women. Um, they came back to J-Bay after a long hiatus in 2018. Steph Gilmore won. Carissa Moore won in 2019. They haven't, like I said, they haven't had as many goes at J-Bay as the men, but there has never, ever, ever in the history of women's CTs at J-Bay been a goofy foot winner. So, sorry, Tati. Um, also, speaking of Goofy Foots, coming back into this event is Tia Blanco. She's going to be using her last Ultimate Surfer wildcard. And Tyler Wright is in the draw, so hopefully she has no visa issues. Um, so yeah, what are, you, what are you looking at when you think about J-Bay and the women? It kind of just feels like an event that Steph Gilmore has her name already engraved in the trophy. Um, 
similar to Geordie, just the pace in which he surfs the wave is just, it's like a natural ability. Like, the women have not spent a lot of time there, but last time, uh, well, excuse me, the first time the event ran there, Steph just seemed so in tune with the wave, and she wasn't putting up massive heat scores, but she was certainly a league above her competitors, and she seemed very relaxed there, hanging at Sharon's house, and, you know, watching the waves all day, every day, and didn't seem rushed, which a wave at J-Bay, you can look, it's really easy to look rushed, and um, she's had that winning feeling that year, winning El Salvador, and... I wouldn't be surprised if she does it again here. She's just so suited to these types of conditions. Yeah. Uh, you know, as we talked about in a previous podcast, most of her wins have come at right points, so that's definitely right up her alley. I will say, I think that for me, this all comes down to the wind conditions because we do see a potential for a bit of devil wind in it. And as we saw at Trestles last year, Steph is a little bit too slight of frame, I think, to surf in conditions that are coming up the face, whereas a few of the other women on tour are a bit stockier. So I think if we get really clean conditions, Steph is looking like an obvious favorite, but if it's a little bit bumpy and tricky, I think she's going to have some trouble. So it all just depends on when she gets to surf, basically, which comes down to a bit of luck, a bit of WSL <laughs> micromanagement, whatever you want to call it. Um, but I, yeah, I'll agree with you. I think she's she's going to do well if the conditions are good. So on that point of you know women who are a bit stockier and heavier footed, Joanne DeFay has made the quarterfinals or better in all of her last 15 CT events. 15 in a row, quarters or better. I know obviously the women's events are a bit shorter, so that means you have to make less heats to get there. But still, that level of consistency is pretty remarkable. And as a result, she's found herself number two in the world right now. And you got to think, she is looking pretty good for J-Bay as well. I know she, you know, maybe her backhand is really her strong suit, but she's still really, really solid on her forehand. And I feel like going into Trestles, if she can just maintain that rating, um, it doesn't really bother me that Carissa will likely stay in first uh, because I feel like Joanne in that situation would have Carissa's number. Uh, she doesn't seem to be as phased by Carissa as some other surfers, and it's it's shown in the finals they've had where Joanne's come away on top. And obviously, Carissa has had some you know massive victories over Joanne as well. The, the ten in Newcastle comes to mind, or the fucking nine point five in Brazil. Jesus. Yeah, that was you know that was a potential momentum shifter in Carissa's career. V Joanne, you, you're spot on. But you know, consistently, like you said. Joanne has it. She is, I think, the surfer on the women's tour that surfs to her potential more than anyone. She always brings her best. And, you know, you saw Carissa last year at Trestles narrowly escape uh, losing to Tatiana there, but I just don't see that happening to Joanne. Joanne's not falling in those situations. Yeah, I agree. And also, like, to that point, Carissa is somebody who sort of gets in her own head, it would seem. And I could see her watching Joanne win a heat right before hers. Um, and that could make her nervous. You know what I mean? Like we saw it last year with Tati, like you said. She lost that first heat and could have easily lost that last heat. But still, a lot of surfing to be done between here and now. We are going to Tahiti next for the women. First time they've ever gone there. That said, I think of most of the women on tour, Joanne would probably be in, you know, the top tier of women who could perform well out there she grew up on left-hand reefs and she doesn't seem scared so it'll be interesting but you know she's going to be in the top five at the end of the year for sure and i think it's pretty likely she'll be in that final heat for sure and with tyler looking like she'll be in a j bay 
that that whole women's race is so entertaining. Like there's there's bugger all points separating first all the way down to um, basically eighth. So yeah, it's game on. All right, so. Betting, as I said, betonline.ag unfortunately does not have the odds up yet, so I'm not able to give you guys my picks there. But I think we should still do our picks just for the event win, yeah? 100%. All right, who do you got? I'll just go into the dark of the night. Conor O'Leary, let's go. (laughs) I love it. Hey, if you pull this one off, um, yeah, you can just hang it up after that, I think. All right, and women? I might just go goofy mayhem. Uh, oh, it's a tough one. I think Caroline's still got a bit left to do warming up-wise, but I'm stoked to see her back, so we'll go Caroline. I'll go the goofy double. I've been hanging out with Oki, mate. All right. I'm going to go with the, um, the surfing's version of the uh, the geriatric ward. I'm going Jordy Smith and Steph Gilmore. Wow. Uh, yeah, look. Um, combined age there of, of about 70, so... <laughs> Yeah, I guess, again, Mikey, you're, you're not wrong. Um, it's going to be a good time. I'm feeling like a bit of a, a fantasy surfer group catch-up to watch a few of these heats here in Australia. I believe there's about an hour time difference between Bolito and J-Bay, so it starts a little bit later in the afternoon, but yeah, around about 4 o'clock we'll be tuning right in. Oh, speaking of which, yeah, we haven't obviously made mention of the Challenger Series event going on. I was hoping that it would end before we recorded this so that we could give an update on the winners at least. Um, truth be told, I haven't been watching too much of it, mainly because of, one, the time zone, and two, the waves just haven't been very good. But I did happen to catch some heats this morning, and I wanted to give a shout-out to Stab Highway, presented by Monster Energy stars, Mateus Hurdy and Aton Osborne, who just won their round of 24 heats. And uh, Aton even did a varial in his heat to get through. I think he got a 7.5 for like a proper off-the-lip backside varial. So I guess all that uh, shove-it practice paid off, Aton. <laughs> it was worth that terrible session you had in San Francisco. Yeah, good. Um, yeah, there's uh, there's been some exciting surfing, even though the waves have been rather dog shit, uh, which is such a bummer because it's such an awesome part of the coast. Uh, I know that uh, Michael Dumphy and Cam Richards and a few of the other East Coast boys were getting super canned before the event started. Uh, but then that swell seemed to, to peter off and uh, they've left with uh, typical QE conditions and unfortunately no real results there for the East Coasters. But a couple of the young lads, yeah, Mateus and Aitan getting it done. I'm really stoked to see Aitan competing. Like, I do think it's right up his alley. I know he has sort of dabbled with it in the past and not fully committed, but he's he's also jumped on the team with Snake in the past and, you know, you can tell he wants to learn, he wants to make heats, so... Yeah, I hope uh, I hope you can do it here. Bolito's a great spot for um, surfers to showcase their surfing. There's generally a lot of opportunity, and you don't get caught up too much in the hassling and the you know uh, the back and forth of real raw QE energy. It's a lot more surfing. So um, yeah, it does lend itself to um, you know surfers like Mateus and Aitan doing extremely well. All right, so we'll see a winner there over the weekend and then pretty much straight into J-Bay. I think they're going to start on either the first or second day of the window. So that's like Tuesday or Wednesday. And like we said, we should be straight into some proper waves. So best of luck to everyone. And Stace, before we go, do you have an unpopular opinion for this event? I can't really think of an unpopular opinion off the top of my head right now. Well, I've got two, so I can lend you one of mine if that works. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect, perfect. <laughs> All right, first unpopular opinion is I 
I just genuinely hope that Samuel Poupeau's surfboard gets eaten by a shark, um, or all of them, better yet. They just, like, if you know, if you listen to the beginning of this podcast, or if you saw my recent joyride, you know that I am no artiste when it comes to, you know, putting some paint on surfboards, but God, whatever he's had on his, I just can't even watch him surf. Like, I know he he's surfing really well, but I tr- genuinely cannot watch him surf on those fucking things the way that they're painted. So I hope he's fine. I hope he doesn't get touched, but I hope all of his surfboards get eaten by a great white shark in South Africa. Um, and my other one is that, I guess this is more of a thought than an opinion, but say Felipe Toledo wins this event. He's guaranteed the number one slot. He can't be caught by anyone points-wise. Does he go to Chopes? What's the point? Growth. It's all about growth. It's the journey. <laughs> you got to go. There's just absolutely no chance he doesn't go. But what if you get hurt? Uh, you can get hurt crossing the road, Mikey. You, you can't be... You can't be worried about that. I kind of hope it happens just to see what he decides to do because that would be... I think that would be a pretty fucking baller move, actually, to just not go. Because it's like, fuck you, you everyone. Know what the best defen- you know what the best defense is? Attack. All right? You're not not going to Chopes. Like, I wouldn't be that psyched if he won the world title and didn't go to Chopes. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I, I understand that line of thinking and, like, the kind of core surfer in me feels that way. But then the person who just loves a bit of like drama and a bit of fuck you i think it's pretty awesome not awesome um if anyone is chasing a little bit of surf nostalgia um surf radio 55013 has been going huge on the j bay rev ups uh andy kelly and now parko and uh my god i swear to god that surfing is still so relevant it's um and it's not just a they were good and you know whatever nah it's fucking Andy Irons holy shit the way that guy surfed J-Bay is just so next level how hard he attacks every single section it's like the opposite to Geordie I think is this an Instagram account or an actual radio station <laughs> I don't know how he came up with that handle name I think he might be Brazilian I'm not too sure but he does a great job uh, Stab actually did an article where you guys gave Oki's Toilet a big rev up uh, and within that Surf Radio got a mention as well um, but no it's an Instagram account where he just posts reels and it's epic it's so epic Oh, alright we're going to have to tune in then pre-JBay get all psyched oh, three minutes of Kelly Slater on a fucking real surfboard my God, it doesn't get any better. Just a carving tube riding clinic. Andy Irons is, you know, Dustin Barker called it in Andy Irons and the Radicals, a cat on acid. Like, oh no, that's not what he said. He said Andy was an MMA fighter. And it's the truth, man. He's just so fucking gnarly. He did, didn't did ever let one section go by without giving it a red hot karate kick to the face. And then... Parker is just butter on bread. Like, you could watch that all day. Yeah. Oh, and that actually reminds me. Um, Kelly Slater, he's in the heat draw as well, so he hasn't officially pulled out. Apparently, his uh, quote-unquote injury is <laughs> resolved after surfing 10-foot no-can-do-y this past week. So I think we'll see him in J-Bay as well. That was the one of the best tube riding efforts since Bruce Irons It fucking 2001. That's a huge call. No hands, backside in a tube like that is just absolutely 
not even real and there's no injury on that body if you're doing that. <laughs> that is the most technical thing you could ever do on a surfboard, what he did. Yeah, it's funny too because he does it so well that he almost think, makes you think that you could do it if you were out there. <laughs> yes, 100% know exactly what you mean. Yeah, I watched that and went, oh, that's what I was doing wrong at G-Land. Oh, okay, yeah, no. <laughs> Fucking oath, you're spot on. Like, no, you can't do what he's doing. Yeah, obviously. But I agree. It, it, he traps you into thinking that, hang on a minute, maybe if I just sat under the ledge on the big days and you wore the big ones and then took off on the double up, maybe that's how I could do it. <laughs> it's brilliant. All right, thank you, Stacy. That was another episode of the Stab Cusp. And now, last but certainly not least, we have an interview with Holly Wan, a star of Stab Highway, California, presented by Monster Energy, and yeah, probably one of the most vocal competitors in this event. So um, she chatted with Coral. She is one of our writers at Stab, and it is a great little chat. So why don't we go and listen? <laughs> So you were like the only crossover from Stab High Australia too, right? Stab yeah. Highway Australia that did yeah, yeah, US yeah. one. <laughs> Which is probably a bad thing for my team. Because I was like, ah, no rush. It's all good. We're chilling. Let's go out to breakfast. <laughs> but also, we did have the most fun. We were just cruising. <laughs> we didn't do anything, kind of. <laughs> looked amazing so what kind of mindset do you think you went into stab california with you said it was pretty cruisy but was there like any strategy or just kind of sort of we like you said we sort of were like damn there's not even time to like hang out or do anything if you're doing all these challenges let's just do like all the fun ones pick them out and then the rest of the time we'll just hang and like let's set up our days so that we can tick stuff off during the day but we don't want to like we don't want to be like want to do things like uh with a plan like we were like all right we can go here make a plan for the day go here do a challenge go here do a challenge go here do a challenge have lunch go to do that go do that and then finish the day at like 6 p.m instead of like running around frantically and doing as many as we could we were just like oh we'll just do these ones <laughs> that sounds kind of that sounds kind of fun <laughs> we, were, we were like we didn't really care <laughs> we were more just happy to be driving around in these big cars like just cruising, having a good time. It was a good cruise. So I don't know. We weren't, we weren't that hyped on doing challenges. We thought we were just hanging out together. It was great. Cruising. How did you have an idea of who you wanted on your team beforehand? Yeah. So initially, I mean, if I had won the the skull off, I would probably picked a ton first, just because he's like a little weapon. Um, and so I wanted to pick him. I also hang out with him a bunch, so would have been fun. Um, but I didn't get him because Ivy won the, the um, she did a shotgun and beat me. And, uh, and, and I was kind of a blessing because he's like got so much energy. He wants to win everything. He's most, so competitive. And so I ended up with just like a car full of people that just wanted to hang out and just cruise. <laughs> so good. Even our filmer, Michael Suka, he's like, he was like, yeah, we're chilling. Like, Let's go do that. <laughs> And then we just go and do it and then be done with it. Like, All right, no, that's no, good. It was like there was no rush. 
Yeah, yeah. And that's pretty cool you guys all had that general consensus. Because if there was one person that was just like, I want to win and do every challenge, it would probably throw the dynamics off, huh? 100%. <laughs> It was so funny. We were like, we, we all worked really well just to, to lose. It was great. And by the end of it, we we're like, ah, we're out of here. Fuck this. This, this is done. <laughs> we're ready. We ended up in Ventura. We we're like, this is where we're staying anyway. I'm like, I'm, I'm getting out. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So then give me like the highlight reel of you guys just cruising and living your best lives. Like, what was the best part? Uh, the best part was just like, being on a road trip with people that you don't really know um and just getting to know everyone and like god we, we did so much laughing and had so much fun it was like it's fantastic to meet everyone everyone was less, more stoked about that than anything we were all like happy that we'd hung out and happy that we'd met each other and uh, it's nice to always nice to meet new friends so that was like definitely the highlight but the highlight reel was like probably Kuyo going through that um going through that rock bridge uh letting like sabotaging the other cars and like semi like fucking with the other teams <laughs> that was so fun because we were so far behind that we were like let's just go and like demo someone's car also <laughs> like not damage it but like at least fuck with it for a bit so they get stuck <laughs> we were trying to get in ahead by playing nasty it was really fun that looks so fun like at, okay at what point were you guys like okay we're just gonna fuck with them like and how did I've... you pick the tan team okay so the day we were driving down through um like uh what is it like um what's that bit of coast up in big sur the day we were driving down from big sur like through big sur we're like damn this is beautiful and suka's like yeah, pretty sure there's a... Or someone said, like, pretty sure there's a, a freshwater creek here and you can, like, sit there and drink beers and hang out and, like, cruise in this, like, freshwater creek. So we spent the whole morning, like, cruising down Big Sur. It was so lovely. And, uh... Anyway, it was nice. I'd never been there. It was, like, amazing. And, uh... Then we just stopped at this freshwater creek and sat there and drank beers through, like, the midday period. <laughs> and then, like got up and we're like shit we kind of like need to go and do something <laughs> we went and like ticked off a few challenges on the way down but it, we we pretty much like de like just didn't do a half a day because we were just so happy ha hanging out <laughs> it was so good and we, we were justifying it so well we we're like in the in the creek going like what do you reckon the other teams are doing right now like we are killing it <laughs> so good so good. It's like quality over quantity too. Yeah, like, we're like, we're like here for a good time, not a long time. <laughs> exactly. We were like, we want to go home the first day. We win if we go home the first day. No more torture. <laughs> okay, so Eric said at one point he was like, in one of his interviews, this whole thing's rigged against us. Like, can you? Like, yeah. Can so, you elaborate just on? Yeah, yeah. So how you felt? Why you felt that way? So every challenge we did, we were just getting knocked back on like stupid stuff. Like we were getting creative because the book said be creative. Mikey's like, by pretty by like he's so by the book. He he knows all the rules, whatever. Uh, and he wasn't open to like altering altering the the method like the method he chose to to complete the challenge. Uh, so we were like, ah, we can just do this, and we'd send it to him. And he'd be like, bah, bah, like nope, 
no good. And we'd be like, what the fuck? This guy wants us to like, the way we saw it, he wanted us to do it the same as all the other teams. And he wanted it all done perfectly and like by the book sort of thing. Like, you know, the normal way you do it. But we were all like down to change it because we didn't really want to do it the same. <laughs> and so, yeah, we just sort of, just sort of got off it like, as the more we got enough back on the more we were just like fuck this guy like just swearing like they'd be videoing and we'd just be swearing about Mikey's like Mikey C just like god fuck this guy it was so heavy and um but he put himself in that position and he loves it <laughs> so <laughs> well it seemed like he loved it and he's I'm sure he's good at taking criticism um he gets pretty blown up in every thing he does <laughs> There's something about him. He's easy to hate. <laughs> For sure. Can you talk about the time you felt like, like a specific time you felt the most knocked back? Like where you guys like maybe put some thought into it, took a creative approach, and you just got the. Oh, I know this. I know this. The check mark. I know this one where we were like, "Yeah, this is so good, amazing." Uh, so we spend the whole day in uh, San Fran. And we meet this like tech lord down at the beach. He's got like a business sprinter, like an office in the back of his sprinter, and he and he works out of the under the Golden Gate Bridge. So this huge silver sprinter, like a fancy one, and uh, he sits in there and does his work. He works in, as, in a tech security company. He owns it, and he spent the whole day there. And he kept speaking to us when we were surfing and hanging out. He kept coming to chat, and then by the end of the day, we'd like. Knocked off a few challenges, wrapped up the day, standing in the car park, and he comes past, and I was like, dude, that vest is pretty good. I was like, we kind of need a vest for this show, uh, like a puffer vest, and he was like, okay, well, I can't give you this one, but I've actually got my tech company, we've got vests, and uh, if you come back to the city with me, I'm going back home now before the traffic, you can come and grab it from my place, and we were like, what? Alright, sweet. So he sends us this, like, encrypted message um and we head back into San Fran and it takes us like an hour and 20 minutes in traffic we were in like standstill traffic he took like half an hour because he left at the right time we left probably 30 minutes later it took us an hour and 20 minutes so we get to the city we go to his apartment we're like damn he's sent us an encrypted message like he's probably sent us the wrong apartment like he probably thinks we're creep like it's obviously like got some sort of security issue and um we go back to his house he meets us at a bar around the corner, gives us the vest, but it's not a puffer vest, but it's still a tech vest. It's got a, uh, it's got a tech security like company on the, like it printed on the, on the side. And we were like, this is perfect, like tech security vest from his company. Like it's better than the plain puffer vest. Send it to him, whatever. Smoke the dread, because there's a guy with dread. He's there with the tech guy. Send the videos to Mikey C, and he's like, nah. I'll give you the dread, but not the vest. And we're like, fuck this guy. Like, are you kidding? This is ridiculous. We just spent hours doing this for like, what, one point, two points? I don't know. Uh, and yeah, he just knocked us back. And then we were like peak blowing up. And then we had to spend another half an hour because we went back to the guy's apartment. He had another vest for us, gave us that one. And that was it. That was definitely annoying when you put in heaps of effort. And then don't call points for sure so who was this guy what a I don't nice know. man he was like, like some tech dude he was like blonde he was quite lovely 
he was pretty funny. We we uh I don't know, I just felt like I was interrupting his he was having drinks with his friends and I kept like going and getting him and like having to get him to do more stuff for us and I just felt like I was imposing on his afternoon heavily. <laughs> I'm sure he would have loved if you just joined in. <laughs> for sure. Hundred percent he would have. Well, we smoked the dread with him, he had a go at that, which was pretty funny. When did you guys make the decision to just completely, like, sabotage tan- the tan team? So, last, yeah, the last morning, we knew how far behind we were. We kind of woke up, and the waves are actually pretty good in Ventura. It was, like, swell, at least. Um, and we had, like, a nice morning, went and did ticked off a few little challenges, spent the day sort of doing challenges, like... I don't know, it was just like way too frantic a last day to spend the day trying to like catch up and then beat one of the other teams to stay in. Um, so we definitely like drove around, did some challenges, but in the morning we were driving under, we were driving through like Ventura under an out, underpass and we like looked at the beach car park and one of the, the tan team's car was there. And I was like, I just like pulled the car off and I was like, fuck, let's let these guys tires down for sure. Like we were all just like keen. We were like, yeah, let's do it. Like let's put some, we'll put pebbles in the thing. And Lark's like, Lark's like, I'll do it. We're like, okay, you do it. I was like, go grab a little pebble, put one in each tire. And he just goes over and grabs two little pebbles and puts them in diagonal tires. Like, so the car was like on a lean. So, <laughs> and uh, so that you couldn't just, drive it to the thing because they were all different um anyway so he lets the tires down so far that it's just sitting on the rims or like sitting like literally fully deflated so they had to wait for triple a to come for like two hours so we sort of <laughs> we completely fucked up their timeline like their day and it felt so good and they were so angry <laughs> like Aton, like fucking with Aton is the funnest thing you can ever do he gets so angry <laughs> And especially because he had Rollo, he's like one of his best mates in the car. He couldn't believe it. Um, and then we ended up at Emmerwood trying to do the Spray Dane challenge. Um, and Dane and the like, Chapter 11 boys had bought all these eggs to, to egg the teams as they came into Emmerwood. But Aton's team, their car finally got fixed and they rocked up to Emmerwood, first car. So they got completely bombed by those boys with eggs just after they'd got their car back on the road uh which proceeded to turn a little bit nasty um and then ended up with me and like some of the other boys taking their car to the car wash for them because we thought we were in heaps of trouble (laughs) and we're trying to be nice and we're trying to deny that we'd let their tires down as well it was like oh it was hilarious it was just a like intense day of um antics (laughs) antics <laughs> wait so you got dane to egg no so, so dane bought all these eggs he bought like 60 eggs and he and jake kelly were like we're gonna, and hunter martinez are like these guys coming to emmerwood that's our zone we're gonna egg this stupid stab highway <laughs> they were like fuck these guys like we're egging these cars but we were there already, so they rocked up with their eggs and they couldn't egg us. And then their cars started driving down through Emmerwood and they just, like, copped 60 eggs. They were hiding in the train tracks, but uh, Aton saw them hiding, so he kind of knew that it was about to go down. But 
It was funny. <laughs> oh my gosh, that is brilliant. How mad was Aton? He was trying to like semi fight Rollo because Rollo threw one egg or a couple of eggs. But Rollo had a chance to like get him in the face and he threw it like at his leg or something. He's like, I thought I had, he's like, I thought I had friends in Ventura. <laughs> we were like, what? <laughs> this is just, this is just funny. He's like, this girl, like, you came from Australia, got all of his friends to just turn against him. <laughs> it, in his hometown, he, like, no, he should have home court. It wasn't my like, idea to. frustrated too. It wasn't my idea to egg him, but it was definitely, it was our idea to let his ties down. It was Dane's idea to egg him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You so just funny. were like, yeah, this it works both ways. Worked perfectly. That's so good. And then you took then you took his car wash you took his car to get washed oh, after? We, I don't know. They were doing challenges and we like we were heading that way anyway, and so I think Michael and um and who else? And Jake Kelly took the car to the car wash. By that state. Yeah, by that stage, Aaron knew about it. He'd already called me out on the group chat, being like, "Holly, do you, you know, he was, he was, being, he, was, he wasn't happy." <laughs> but I actually hadn't thrown an egg, so on my fault. Oh my gosh, you were framed. I was high. I was <laughs> hiding when they were throwing eggs. I was like, no, I'm not into this. "Did you um have a chance to read Mikey's rebuttal? Did you, did you glance at yeah, that?" Yeah, I did. Yeah. Did it change the way you like did it does it change the way you feel you like feel towards him or his position or anything at all? I totally it's fine. Like we we finished a trip and we were like, yeah, no hard feelings, it's sweet, like it is what it is. Everyone's playing their part, character sort of thing. Um it's like a whirlwind. So no yeah, definitely whatever happens on Sap Highway is like it's sweet. It's it's uh it's chill. No hard feelings. <laughs> Maybe hard feelings between Zeke and Mickey, <laughs> bit of beef there, I reckon. After the uh, after the rock jump challenge, I thought I thought honestly that Mickey should have won that just because he'd never been there before and kind of nailed it. And Zeke's been there a million times, and never ridden out. Um, so that like I don't know, I was like Mickey, you won for sure, and then he didn't win. <laughs> and then uh, then there was like the bit where they were doing the. The three turn challenge, the first ten point challenge, and Zeke's like holding him down the rocks, and, and Mickey's like, you "Fucking cunt!" I was like, "Whoa, That's so good, so funny." Okay, so in general, how do you think? How do you feel Americans are different than Australians? In general, I don't know. They've got way more. They're way more keen to be on show. Uh, they're really like. Um, fun, like kind of fun and open, and like semi wild, but but also like needs to be brought out of them. Very friendly. Apparently, like Australians are very uh, more like semi more core or something. <laughs> it's like uh, I don't know. America's just a weird place for me. So I guess the surroundings dictate people. Yeah, I like how I like how you mentioned they're more keen to be on the show. Do you think Americans are a little bit more influenced by like that sort of hype in a way? I reckon, yeah, for sure. Like, have a look at Zeke's like I watch Zeke's vlog religiously. 
I think it's so funny. Um, it's great. It's <laughs> like going so big, but that's like that shit doesn't happen in Australia. Like, there's no one like him here. There's just like you just can't you can't be like him in America. You can be whoever you want. It's sweet. <laughs> yeah. Do you think he could get away with that? No in way. Australia, just like. <laughs> no way. No way. <laughs> So, I don't know. That's, like, that's a good example, actually. <laughs> I love Zeke. I think he's great. It's funny. There's no one like yeah. him. I think it is that media-driven hype. And then you're, I like how you said Australia's more, more core. Yeah. Like, you have For board sure. riders and you just have certain, you have certain, like, like, community, like, almost, like, surf community guidelines that are more built in to yeah. Australian culture, I think, <laughs> that's, then. That's right. That's so funny. Can you describe Stab Highway in two words? Absolute roasting. <laughs> I love that. I thought you were going to say torch, but I like that even better. Did you see that? <laughs> Did you happen to see that nice little thing that Ivy wrote about you in the interview I did with her? No, I didn't. I asked her who was the most attractive person on the highway, and she said, you have the nicest face. <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> That's nice. I like Ivy. She's good. We've been friends for ages. Since you, uh, I remember being really well, quite young and doing um, the Cabo contest, and then she was doing the interviews or whatever, and... Uh, yeah, that was the first time I met her. Oh my gosh, did you have an interview with her? Yeah, 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 I did. I can't remember when, it, like, what year it was, but yeah, she was. It was pretty funny. Ivy's good. She's hilarious. Her Instagram stuff is so funny. All right. If so, last question. If given the opportunity, would you come back next year to Stab Highway? Me. California. Me. Not Australia. Yes. No, I don't think I would. I feel like um, I feel like I'm done with them. I mean, I do I do one in Australia for sure, but I don't know if I don't know. I've I've come. I've, I thought I would do another one, and I said I would do another one, but I don't know if I can. But we'll see. You never know. When you get asked to do something, usually just do it. But um, yeah. <laughs> I was, I was, I was, I'm done at this stage. Watch it. I can't even watch it. I haven't watched one of the episodes. I just like can't, can't do it. <laughs> I just let people text me about it. Why? I don't know. I hate watching, um, I don't know. I just, I never watched the other ones either. <laughs> I couldn't. You just hate watch. you just hate watching yourself on camera? Yeah, I hate it. It's horrible. Especially when you're doing something like that. You're just doing gross stuff all the time, like, my booty juice challenge is disgusting. Yeah, tell me about that. What was in that booty? I think like... it was just like three wees over the course of one surf. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> All right, and that is it for this week's episode of The Drop and The Stab Cusp and the interviews and every other show that we have in this one weird platform. We don't... We honestly don't know if we should like separate the drop in the cusp or if they should have their own channels or keep them together or what. We're we're a little confused at the moment on this whole podcast game, um, but we're just going to keep putting them out and hoping for the best. It seems like at least a few of you like them. So um, yeah, thanks for listening and 
Until next week, over and out.